For Orthodox theology has specially insisted that Christ was not a being apart from God and man, like an elf, nor yet being half human and half not, like a centaur, but both things at once, and both things thoroughly, very man and very God. Welcome to Pints with Chesterton, a podcast where two millennial women dive into the wonderful and whimsical works of Gilbert Keith Chesterton. I'm Grace. And I'm Marie. Today we are talking about Orthodoxy, Chapter 6, The Paradoxes of Christianity. Grace, how are you? I am doing well. (laughs) It's Friday. Marie and I are all over the place. (laughs) It is truly a Friday. Sleep is not, uh, sleep didn't happen too much for me last night, but that's okay. We're, we're getting it done. <laughs> yeah. It is I, what it is. Oh, I can hear all those little baby coos and I love it. So we're recording for the first time in a while and Alexander's two months old now. And generally he's okay with taking naps away from me, but today he, uh, <laughs> cried when I left him. So Aww. He is in the recording with us today, so he may wake up and he makes some pretty funny noises. Now, he quote unquote talks, but his only word is oh. He wakes up and he says, oh, oh. (laughs) So if we hear that, it's uh, it's my son, not not Grace or I. Um, Did you ever watch the um, the masterpiece mystery? Uh, on PBS and they have that little intro video. Uh, maybe I've talked about this before and it's like a uh-uh. like an animated little intro video. Anyways, at some point they have this woman and she's like fainting and she's like laying on her back and she's like, oh, <laughs> my mom. <laughs> That's my son fun of it. every day. <laughs> That's it. so funny. No, I don't think I've seen that. That's hilarious. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's he's really fun now. He's making lots of sounds and everything is level 10 drama um <laughs> i was telling grace earlier just over text that like yeah he cried like i had broken his arm or something when i changed his pajamas and put lotion on him which was supposed <laughs> to be you? relaxing yeah oh and we just wanted a fresh baby you know <laughs> anyway i feel um, like i can relate to like when toddlers scream and they don't know why they're screaming and they're just like mad i'm like wow i relate to that sometimes you know it's like <laughs> i'm just sometimes i'm and mad I and why. i don't know why <laughs> yeah exactly so um what have you been up to lately it's been about a month since we've seen each other yes um well i've been still working just trying to get used to this new job which has been awesome but um yeah I think it's gonna take me the full year the full school year to just kind of learn the groove you know (laughs) yes so um so yeah just a lot of working um but it's like good stuff fun stuff uh, meeting with people hearing people's stories just like so many people who are like coming out of the woodworks wanting to come into the church and um it's such a blessing but I just had a guy in here this morning submit his uh, registration form. You know, we're like already halfway through the year, but um, it asked them to kind of like tell a brief snippet of their story on the back. And it was just like fascinating. Like he read like Dostoevsky and he like is kind of in the process of this conversion. He was agnostic for a long time. Wow. And 
Um, yeah. So he said, um, I'll read, I have it right here on my desk. It says, uh, I cannot describe everything that I learned from this wonderful author, but I can encapsulate what I believe to be his most important lesson. And then he quotes, hell is full of people ready to believe their own lies to prevent themselves from being lovingly judged. Mm. And I was like, wow. Anyway. And he goes on to just like talk about these professors and mentors and people who have kind of led him to this point. But most recently he, he met, um, a professor of political science here at LSU that, uh, is Catholic. And so he's been talking to him, I guess. And so anyway, just really cool. Fantastic. Just cool to hear these people's stories. There's people that are coming in who have like very little knowledge of the faith at all. Um, some people who are on a super high academic level. I have, um, uh, I don't know, a guy from another Protestant church who's been a pastor for like 18 years. And so it's been fascinating just to hear like his story wow. and his thoughts and, um, yeah, a girl that is Muslim, um, from the middle East and she's, searching a lot <laughs> kind of exploring wow um but it's like really scary for her um to be exploring christianity and anyway just like crazy stuff and it's just been a, such a blessing for me so that's what, what i've been incredible up incredible work grace <laughs> i feel like this is is this must be even more of a gift than you expected it to be when you took oh my this gosh job. totally i mean and i i was fully aware that it was a gift when i took the job but i still yeah it just keeps getting deeper and better. And now, honestly, my problem is that I have so many people that I don't have time to meet with them all on the regular. <laughs> so, um, that is amazing. Yeah. What a good have, problem to have. I know. So we gratefully have like a really good core team of, of other people in the parish that know their stuff and are just like really kind and awesome. Um, all really different people, which is great because we have such a diverse group, but, um, yeah, it's just been so fun. And it's been fun to see that when we start providing a place for people to honestly like ask questions and learn about the faith on a higher intellectual level um that they just want more and more and more and more and more and so they're like I want to bring my fiance I want to bring my friend I want to bring my sorority sister who got me into this you know and it's like honestly next year like I think we could have a massive massive um class so <laughs> praise anyway. god praise yeah. god yeah this it's reminds fun. me this reminds me of um something Chesterton says in this chapter, which is that once you believe something 100%, everything in your experience, everything around you proves it to be true, like yeah. proves Christianity to be true. Yeah. And it's like it that um, when that's the case, that excitement seizes you and you want to just bring everyone you love into it as well. Yeah, yeah. It it's is. So cool. it's, it's so great. And it's been really awesome to have like our staff here and like my pastor and my other boss, who's the Paris administrator, like they're just, they have such great vision and love for um, the necessity of community. Um, and I think that in a lot of programs, that's kind of what's missing is like you are teaching things. Maybe, um, maybe you're, you've got good like academics, but there's like not a community aspect. And so people still feel somewhat isolated, especially if they're coming into the church for the first time. And so that yeah. communal element is so necessary and that's what we've been trying to build. And I think it's had a huge impact. So, um, yeah, I'm just really grateful to be here. <laughs> that is so awesome. Yeah. Um, have you been reading anything lately? Um, honestly, bits and pieces <laughs> of a lot of things. Okay. Okay. But, but not a ton. I did recently, um, read Chesterton's essay on cheese. <laughs> Very <laughs> good. Fun. 
<laughs> but uh and discuss it with um Nancy and Noel and all of these people in the Chesterton Society uh Zoom. <laughs> so that was That's fun. fantastic. Yeah. That's really fun. Um I recently read uh his essay A Piece of Chalk oh, and yeah. discussed it with those ladies and that was that was fun too and it's funny because he mentions something in this chapter of orthodoxy about white being its own color and not just an absence mm. of color mm-hmm. um and mentions a piece of chalk and um and that's i i actually don't know if the essay came first or if orthodoxy came first but it's yeah. exactly the same idea that he's like drawing out more in the essay yeah um so cool yeah i think it's cool how you can see the continuity like in all of his writings. And again, we've talked about this, like he'll write about the same concept from lots of different angles and lots of different types of, um, like lots of different genres of writing. So mm-hmm. he'll talk about the same idea in fiction, like he'll illustrate it in an image in fiction, um, or he'll express it in a poem or he'll write it in an essay and then expound on it in a book, you know, <laughs> and it's yes. like from all different angles. I love that. Yes. Um, well, lately, funnily enough, I've been reading Anna Karenina, oh. which is by Tolstoy. And Tolstoy is mentioned a few times in this chapter, uh, in it's the true. second half of the chapter. And um, that book has seized my imagination, I guess you could say. I've been sucked into it since the first page, and I've been kind of texting with my sister about it because she read it a few months ago and was raving about it to me. And I, I just picked it up um, a week or two ago. I forgot how much I love Russian literature. I read Dostoevsky in college and um, have read like a couple of modern Russian fiction works um, that mm-hmm. I really enjoyed. Um, and there's just such a like understanding of um, the suffering in in the human experience mm, yeah. from Russian writers because yeah. Russia has such a history of suffering. Mm-hmm. My baby is like kind of cry cooing uh, in his yes, sleep. And I agree. <laughs> so he's yeah he's joining in on this. Um, anyway, I'm really enjoying that book. I'm about 200 pages into it or something, and um, apparently it's just about to get more wild from here. So I'm really yeah. excited. Um. Well, great. Um, let's jump in, I guess, okay. to this yeah. chapter today. So uh, as the title reveals, uh, we're going to be talking a lot about paradox mm-hmm. today, um, but specifically about the paradoxes of Christianity. Um, and so he is continuing the conversation with us about how he found Christianity to be true. Mm-hmm. And um one of the surprising things about this chapter is that he he says that it's the skeptics and the critics that really convinced him mm. uh, or began convincing him that yeah. Christianity was true. I found that uh, really, really fascinating, um, but also relatable. Like, because yes. I, I could, so many of the things that he would mention in this chapter, I was like, oh my gosh, I have thought that too. Or like, I've I've never put two and two together, but I've like, heard all of these things from people, you know, just in the wider society and just like, I don't know, all these complaints about Christianity that are actually contradictory. Um, And so that should make us be like, wait a minute, 
at least ask questions. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. How like how exactly. can this be? Yeah. yeah, and I love his like how his first reaction to like seeing all these like actual contradictions or like seeing that people were blaming Christianity for being like to this on one side of the spectrum and then to that on the other side of the spectrum. And he was like, how, yes. how could these things possibly be together? But his first reaction was like, this church must be from hell. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like exactly. his first reaction wasn't that it, that it was true. But then <laughs> when he thought about it again, he was like, wait a minute, but what if it's true? What if it's actually good <laughs> that yes. both of these things are yes. together? Yeah. He talks about it being it like being the most weird and sinister thing from hell, if it truly <laughs> is what all of these people say yeah. um, negatively about it. Yeah. So he, he's going to use a lot of paradox in this chapter um, or like examples of paradox, I should say. But then the big one that he's leading up to is Christ being fully god and fully mm. man mm. and then you know extrapolating from that that by dying on the cross he's providing eternal life mm. which is par very the greatest paradoxical. paradox of all yeah yeah yes um so so this is what we're being led to at the end of like by the end of this chapter um but we're gonna take a little journey to get there there's a lot in this chapter and we're not going to be able to talk about it all but i want to try to talk about some some of the important things that'll help us to understand it a bit better so chesterton talks about the fact that when you partially believe something it's easier to defend it than it is mm. when you fully completely believe something and everything seems to prove it to you mm. so grace talk a little bit about what you thought about what he was saying there yeah it's so relatable as somebody who literally tries to explain my reasons for faith for a living <laughs> um you know i mean i have kind of partially gone through this down this journey of study in my life so that I could better explain because I was, I remember being, um, you know, a high school student and being convicted about the truth of, of Christianity, but not knowing why or how to defend it because it was so many things all put together and I hadn't really had to, um, condense them or articulate them before. And so when people would ask me or people would scoff at faith and I would want to say something back, I like, didn't even know where to begin. You know, um, yes. somebody maybe asked me like, what is the gospel message? And it's like, I knew it, but I couldn't, I, I hadn't studied it you enough. Can't say to, like, it in one quip, yeah. like one short little phrase. Yeah, except like, maybe I guess Jesus Christ lived and <laughs> yeah. died for your salvation, but but that could be overwhelming. To yeah, say. and even then, because I was you know I was a high school student, I hadn't really studied the faith intellectually, like on a level that could have even gotten me to that point. Like I didn't even sure, know how sure. to say like the the basic charisma you know the basic message yeah. of the faith or whatever um now after years of practice doing that as a teacher you know i like i feel like i can i have a starting point but i understand where he's coming from about like when somebody says like why is this true even today i'm like oh how do i even begin like <laughs> there's yes. so many things we could talk about there's so many angles that we could come at this with um there's so many things altogether. I don't know if we've talked about on this podcast, um, uh, John Henry Newman and the illative sense. We I don't think so. Mm -mm. He talks about how, when you're coming to belief in something, um, a lot of times it's no one thing that convinces you, but it's this like myriad of like 
millions of different little things Mm. that come together and you hold all those together in your mind at the same time. And it, it helps you to make this decision or take this leap of faith because, and there's like reasons for it, but you can't necessarily pinpoint what they are, but it's like all kinds of different things coming together at once. Um, and again, if somebody were to say to you like, well, what finally convinced you to become Christian? You're Mm. like, uh, so many things. Like how do I even (laughs) million things at once? Yeah. It's like all these different things together. So I definitely understood that, but it's like, when you know, you know, and that's what he says. He says a stick might fit into a hole Yes. Or a stone this is great. hollow. Yeah. By accident, but a key and a lock are both complex. And if the key fits a lock, you know, it's the right key. And, and, and human beings are complex beings right. and faith is complex. And so if those two things do fit together, you know, that it's a, a key in a lock situation and not just a stick in a hole situation. Right. You're, you don't have to force it. It's like all of a sudden things, people will talk about this all the time where like they're, they're studying and they're studying and they're like, I know there's something true about this, but I, I don't exactly know how to explain it or what it is. But then it's like somebody explains it in a certain way. And then all of a sudden mm-hmm. you're like, wait, and everything just starts to click, 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 like all into place, you know? And yeah. you're like, everything's just like falling together. And all of a sudden you didn't quite see clearly. And now it's like, it's come into focus, you know? And I think that was the experience yeah. that Chesterton had. And I think that's the experience that a lot of us have at different yes. points throughout our faith journey. Yes, I agree. And I think I've come to believe that that's the Holy spirit working mm. in people, in things around us and moving our, our hearts to that final leap of faith that mm. allows us to actually enter into it. He, he outlines what you just said perfectly when he says, you know, he's asked about about why he believes and he says well why there is that bookcase and the coals in the coal scuttle and and pianos and policemen and it's and i and and like you i totally understand this it's like and this made me think of um uh in scripture the heavens are telling the glory of god it's like everything around us is just speaking Mm. christ to us it's like Mm. The, the trees, I don't know. And then, the, yeah, a piano, the fact that like God allowed man to make this beautiful <laughs> instrument that makes beautiful <laughs> melodies that are, you know, probably infinite in possibility and just, just everything. So <laughs> let's start with that, I guess, by saying to a, to a person who has come to believe um, nearly everything or everything seems to prove um, God and prove Christianity, but we realize that that's not sufficient when somebody does ask us. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then he and then he delves into attempting to explain. Right. I actually had a question on this same page, Grace. Um, mm-hmm. He says something, and I I asked David, and we kind of discussed it, but I I'm not sure I quite understand where he's going with this. He says all le- all roads lead to Rome which is one reason why many people never get there. Mm. And, um, and, and I guess maybe I'm missing something obvious here and having mom brain, but um, <laughs> if all roads lead to Rome, if everything points to the glory of God, then why don't some people mm. get there? Um, is, it, is he saying that they refuse to travel down any of these many paths that the Lord is providing or like, what is he saying to us here? Yeah. That, let me have to think about that for a second. Hmm. Um, 
The belief is so big that it takes a long time to get it into action. And this hesitation chiefly arises, oddly enough, from an indifference about where one should begin. All roads lead to Rome, which is one reason why many people never get there. So maybe it's they're refusing um, to because start. there's so many options, we're content to not choose anything. And mm. maybe I can I can relate to that whenever I have too many options on the table, it can kind of paralyze my ability to make a decision. Um, because it's like there's too many things to to think mm. about or too many things to weigh or or choose between. Um, I think maybe we've talked about this before. Was I talking about the um like when people have been in prison for many, many years, like decades, yes. and then yes. they're released and they go to the grocery store and they like almost have a panic attack because there's too many cereals on the cereal aisle. Yeah. And it's like yeah. too many things. It it can like paralyze you, you know? Yeah. Um, and so maybe um maybe that's what he means that there are so many ways and it's meant to be a wide net to catch everyone in, yes. you know, so many different ways, like God under every rock and that God he'll meet every individual every in there, every door. Yeah. yeah. And, but it's, if we're lazy about it, <laughs> I don't know if lazy is the right word, or maybe we're mm-hmm. distracted uh, and yeah. we're content. Um, and we're not, we're not following those pangs of longing or we're not following those hints at, you know, something more that we've experienced and we just kind of suppress them or ignore them um, because we're comfortable or for whatever other reason. Sure. Um, so maybe that's what he means. I don't know. Sure. Okay. No, I, 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 that was a wonderful explanation. And I think, I think I agree with you. I want to continue thinking about that, but I, yeah, I, I agree with you. Um, now I want to go back just slightly um, okay. and talk about, um, what what Chesterton discusses at the beginning of this chapter, which is the alien who is seeing a human being. Mm. And so he talks about um, logical deduction. Mm-hmm. And if, you know, if someone were to look at a human being and not know anything about them, he'd see two feet, two legs, two hands, two arms, two eyes, two ears, etc. I could go mm-hmm. on and on, even internally, two lungs, two kidneys, mm-hmm. you know, etc. There are many things that that come in twos. And so mm-hmm. somebody could logically deduce that there are also two hearts, mm-hmm. right? Or, and, or two stomachs, therefore, yeah. you know, and then there's not and then you're like, wait, wait, right. <laughs> and so yeah. um, he, the point of this analogy, um, in relation to Christianity is that he says that Christianity doesn't merely deduce logical truths, but um, also illogical truths. And the the point he's trying to make is that um, even though we might illogically have to deduce that there are not two hearts, it's still the truth, even Mm -hmm. though it doesn't quite seem to make sense with what everything else we can kind of see about the human body. Mm -hmm. Um, And I, I find that to be so true in Christianity and Christian mm-hmm. theology that we might find that odd thing, mm-hmm. and, and yet it it's true, and mm-hmm. it doesn't really matter if it's odd as long as it's true, right? <laughs> right. right. Um, I love the in almost the very first. I think it was the second sentence. Um, he said the commonest kind of trouble is that it is nearly reasonable but not quite. Life is not an illogicality, yet it is a trap for logic logicians. <laughs> so yes. like, it's, it's like, if you're trying to be 
he's talked about this before in this book, like all logical, but nothing else is not reality. Um, it's like, you have to have everything else all together. Um, so it's like logic is important and reason is important, but yeah, like the reality in front of us is that there are some things that just don't make sense to us, you know, Yes. (laughs) but they're still there. And it's like, we have enough, it's enough reasonableness to be able to look at the world around us and like do science and like figure things out and whatever. But then there's enough mystery to where we're just like, wait a minute, <laughs> like where, yes. where is that coming from? You know? Yeah. It's almost miraculous. These odd things that we find in faith and, or not almost, I mean, like, I feel like miracles are an example of that. Yeah. It's, it's kind of something odd and magical seeming that shouldn't be. And like, yeah. based on just our earthly experience, maybe couldn't be, but then yeah. it's true and it, it happens, you know? Yeah. I think it's almost like following Chesterton's lead and just like how he sees God in general. I think I, it's almost like you see God as just like giggling and laughing as he's like creating things. <laughs> it's like, okay, there's all of these things that are very orderly, you know, and then, oh, but I'm going to like throw a dash of this kind of crazy thing over here. Yes. <laughs> like, yes. It's like, oh, this is fun. You know, like, what I about love this? that. And so. every, and, and everything in it po- does point to that creator. And with that lock and key example that we were talking about before, um, that's not something that's just like naturally occurring, right? If we're going to think about that example a little bit yeah. more, um, we can find a stick on the ground and find a hole that mm-hmm. a squirrel dug for a nut and, you know, whatever. Fit. Yeah. But somebody crafted that lock to and crafted that key to specifically fit into each other with all of the intricate grooves and mm. pieces and um and that's god the mm. cre- he's the creator of that lock and that key mm. and the amazing thing is that i i think part of the the reason why christianity is such a paradox is because the lord loves us all so much and wants mm. us all for himself and we are all so different um mm. Mm -hmm. Not to jump too much to the end of the chapter, but when he does talk about Tolstoy and then Joan of Arc a little bit, um, you know, there's there's a personality that longs to be a monk and there's a personality Mm -hmm. that longs to go to war for the Mm -hmm. faith and God uh, accommodates both. Yeah, I think that's so important. There's so much. This is, I think, just one of my own (laughs) kind of personal soapboxes, too, but there seems to be so much um, of a tendency in fallen human nature to want to kind of be, how do I say this? Like uniform in a way, mm-hmm. like we want holiness Everything to, to look, look the one same. way. Yeah. Yes. And, and so like within the church, um, all of us being fallen human beings in the church, um, I think we have this tendency to try to like, group up and make these little clicks and like, say, you have to be like us, otherwise you're not Christian, you know? And, um, the church, like Chesterton says is, is very, um, like it has, it has rules. It has, uh, laws. It has things that keep it like from running amok, you know, like a river has banks. Um, there was one quote in here that I loved, in the Ignatius Press version, it's on page 102. He says, 
There was room for wrath and love to run wild. And the more I considered Christianity, the more that I found that while it had established a rule and order, the chief aim of that order was to give room for good things to run wild. Yes. And, and I think that is something that we often forget, even as Christians, um, that there are laws, there are rules, but only to a certain extent. And after that, there's so much beautiful diversity that's possible within the church and that's, that's needed within the church. And so, um, as long as those very basic laws and orders are in place, there's just so much beauty that, you know, every person that we meet, like there, I think, you know, how many people are on earth, like 7.7 billion or something like that. There's 7.7 billion ways to be Catholic, you know, Mm. or to be Christian, like so beautiful that there's every single person is going to be different. Um, that like God didn't make two people alike, you know? Yes. Um, and again, there are those certain basic rules, but I think we do a great disservice, um, to ourselves and to God when we, try to make everything or everyone look the same, you know, um, like our lives and our paths and our journeys and like the, the ways that we're living out the gifts of the spirit and the missions that we each have uniquely and individually. Like, I think we can, yeah, just do a great disservice and a harm to the world and to ourselves, you know? And he talked, yeah, exactly. And he talks about how this true faith is surprising and startling I kind of think if we're not being startled by anything, Mm. like if we don't meet somebody who's like a Christian who is like doing things wonderfully, but differently, like differently than us and we're not startled by it, like maybe we need to widen our circle a little bit. Um, We're uh, new here. We finally picked our parish and um, I have been making an effort to try to go to church during the week a couple of times. And Mm so I finally got to go on Monday and there was this old man sitting near the entrance, um, like right where you walk into the church. And um, I was asking him where confessions were and he kind of directed me. And then he said something really funny and like surprising because he just looked like this, like, no offense, this very <laughs> dull old man, like he, who's like sitting in a Catholic church praying. I'm like, not expecting this funny comment to come out of him. So anyway, I go to confession, I'm praying, whatever. And I'm uh, nursing a baby like very frequently in my life right now. So I'm like walking out with him to go try to figure some things out. And he's like, hey, I wanna see your baby and like calls me over and like is hilarious he's making all these jokes while we're talking and like just had such a personality that really did surprise me like caught me off guard and and he goes um i like i'd like to invite you to stay for mass and he thought i was leaving he thought i was leaving the church like going back to my car and stuff and i was like oh that's so kind um i i actually am going to stay for mass i just I need to figure some things out with my baby for a little bit and then we'll be back. Um, Anyway, he kind of was an example to me of this where it was like, I don't know. I I think sometimes like, oh, person in a church, old, you know, do whatever. 
all the same. You must nope. be a certain way. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. Um, which is hilarious because someday I'm going to be old and I'm going to be sitting near that door and somebody's <laughs> going to think the same thing about me. And, you know, I hope I surprise them a little bit too. But <sighs> okay. I so I want to jump back into what he said about the, cr the critics and the skeptics convincing yeah. him. And then yeah. some of these examples that he gives of like paradox that they find to be damning about mm. Christianity, but that kind of started to convince him that it might be true mm. because he, he saw all these inconsistencies. So my um, favorite line and when he starts to talk about this is he says, um, it was Huxley and Herbert Spencer and Bradlaugh who brought me back to Orthodox theology. They sowed in my mind the first wild doubts of doubt. I thought that was like really cool because it's like you, if you're someone who doubts, if you're like a skeptic, then like even more so, should you be skeptical of your own skepticism? <laughs> you yes. Know? yes. And so it all gets him, very confusing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Teaching him to doubt, they they taught him to doubt doubt. And I thought that was cool. There's a, I may have mentioned this before. There's an old Switchfoot song where he says, doubt your doubts and believe your beliefs. Um, and it I always like makes that. me think like whenever you start to doubt something, like maybe you should doubt the fact that you're doubting, you know, <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't know. Or maybe you yeah. should doubt like why you're doubting, you know, like yeah. maybe I'm not thinking clearly or something like, like continue that, but... to ask questions about these doubts. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, it, as he talks about this, he says that he um, read the atheistic lectures of Colonel Ingersoll, um, who it, I have a note down here in my annotated edition that says atheist, lawyer, author, orator, um, distinguished himself in the Civil War, went on to become one of the most famous lecturers in America. Um, so anyway, he's this prominent atheist and he mm -hmm. reads his lectures and um he says the dreadful thought broke across my mind almost thou persuadest me to be a christian i was in a desperate way <laughs> that <laughs> made me that. laugh so hard <laughs> i know um so so he talks about some of these things that seem to contradict each other um mm. he talks about how some people accuse christianity of you know um preaching fire and brimstone and like damnation and you know mm -hmm. like fear and trembling and whatnot and then uh others accuse it of being like this blissful comfort Soft, paradise like yeah, yeah. <laughs> he says a <laughs> pink and white nursery yeah and he says that doesn't seem to make sense um and he goes on i don't actually have the page in front of me but um he talks about how People accuse the church of um, hating women by making them go into, oh. uh, do you have it? Yes. He says, uh, but I found that the anti-Christians themselves had a contempt for woman's intellect, for it was their great sneer at the church on the continent that only women went to it. <laughs> it's yes. like people trying to defend the dignity of women, but then in the same breath being like, well, only women go to church, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, <laughs> so exactly. Like, Wait a minute. <laughs> this doesn't make it's sense. Like, it's like, doesn't it give some credence to this thing if yeah. women are attending it? Yeah. Um, and he talks about that with uh, nuns and mothers, right? He talks mm -hmm. about, um, you know, people are complaining like, oh, the church makes women lonely and childless and takes them away from the home by making them nuns. And then on the 
in the same breath, they're saying uh, the the church is um, confining women to the home and to their children and to their husbands by making them mothers. And mm. um, like in seeing all of these consistent, I found that example, I don't know, more moving, I guess, because yeah. I am a woman and I'm yeah. like in the midst of all this. But um, he is starting to think, how, how can this be that like people are claiming all these things that are that don't seem to make sense is the church really guilty of all of these things um mm -hmm. in the way that they're saying um mm -hmm. were there any other of those uh paradoxical examples that you wanted to talk about there um mm, i don't know if there was one that i really wanted to point out more than just when he was considering the actual people who are making these accusations Yes, this is a really good point. Um, yeah, he says, um, the very man who denounced Christianity for pessimism was himself a pessimist. I thought that there must be something wrong. And it did for one wild moment cross my mind that perhaps those might not be the very best judges of the relation of religion to happiness, who, mm -hmm. by their own account, had neither one nor the other. <laughs> yes. So yes. just reading these people and and just kind of seeing how depressed they were as human beings, like how kind of like um, unsatisfied they were with anything, um, and and just willing to be angry about everything. Um, he was like, you know, if I'm really searching for truth and happiness and you don't seem to have either one of them, then why should I really listen to you? I don't know. Yes. yes. Um, and I was like, wow, that's so simple, but it's like, it's really true, you know? Yes. And then um, on the next page, he kind of continues in that same vein. And he says, the very people who reproached Christianity with the meekness and non-resistance of the monasteries were the very people who reproached it also for the violence and valor of the crusades. Mm -hmm. It's like, we can't win here. Something is not <laughs> adding up. Yeah. Um, what could it all mean? Was this Christianity, which always forbade war and always produced wars? What yes. could be the nature of the thing, which one could abuse first because it would not fight and second, because it was always fighting. Yes. Yeah. And I just, that, that really is the whole thing. Um, and again, when he goes to actually consider this, um, he says an historic institution, which never went right is really quite as much of a miracle as an institution that cannot go wrong. The mm -hmm. only explanation which immediately occurred to my mind was that Christianity did not come from heaven, but from hell. If really, if Jesus of Nazareth was not Christ, he must've been antichrist. Yes. Um, but then he says, and then in a quiet hour, a strange thought struck me like a still thunderbolt. There had suddenly come into my mind, another explanation. Um, and then he said, uh, one explanation as has already been admitted would be that he might be oh. Oh, he's talking about objects being like a weird shape or people being a weird shape. Um, he, he's, he, just to preface it, he says, you know, if a bunch of people claim all of these different things about a man, mm. we have two ways that we can look at it. Mm -hmm. He's either an odd shape or all of these people are speaking from their particular perspective and experience right i should have just read the whole thing um no that's okay it's kind of a long <laughs> passage i know yeah, why yeah. you tried to shorten it yeah but um but he says like it, this person might actually be the right shape um and i highlighted that <laughs> phrase the right shape because it's funny there's a father brown mystery called the wrong shape i don't know if yes. you've read that yes. one but um yeah and that's what he's he he's kind of getting at this idea that 
I don't know, you can kind of see something as like, wait a minute, this is, this is actually right. This is actually correct. So, um, yeah, if you have people that have all sorts of biases in different directions and they're all accusing the same thing of different things that are opposites of each other, then like maybe the thing is actually right. You know, so we talk about um, if people on the right are accusing you of this and people on the left are accusing you of that, then like maybe you're actually moderate and in the middle, <laughs> like maybe you're yeah. actually like yeah. where you need to be. Um, and uh, I think that's what he starts to see about Christianity. Like, wait a minute, there's something that is true and the people that are accusing it are the ones with the issue, not yes. the thing itself. Yes. I'm really glad that you brought us to this point because it is really important, even like for us who wholeheartedly believe in Catholicism, in Christianity, we believe that it's true. We're, we're living our whole life based on it, on that truth. Like we still need to be examining ourselves and what we're bringing to our perspectives of things, right? Because we're still flawed, yeah. which is why we still sin. And it's important to like continually assess ourselves and say like, am I having trouble with this particular teaching because the teaching is wrong? Mm. Um, or am I having trouble with this particular teaching or, you know, whatever, because I'm flawed and I'm mm. bringing something wrong to the table. And so yeah. I can't understand this in the right way. Yeah. Um, and he has this line about doctrine in this chapter that I underlined. Um, basically, he talks about like how strict doctrine was and like or is and how like all of the the effort that the church went to to have it be very like exact in its definition and in its meaning and like not an ounce wrong um, because it could lead so many people astray if it were wrong. Mm. Um, and so that's important to keep in mind too. Like the, the church that Christ established led by the Holy spirit has, um, given us doctrine to, to help us. And like, if we're having trouble with doctrine, it's not the Holy spirit that's wrong. It's us. Yeah. Right. Like, yeah. We're and the imperfect be a, being there. Yeah. Right. As St. Paul says, a renewal of our minds, right? Like there has to yes. be something that is that is kind of maybe broken and reset, you know, um, to kind of put back in the right order. But once it clicks into place, it's like, ooh, there's like it maybe it's painful for a moment, but there's a relief after that, you know. Yes. So I don't want to go on too much longer here um and keep all of you lovely people too, too much longer. But if we go uh, towards the end of this chapter, um, to go back to something that you've re referenced at the beginning, the more I considered Christianity, more th the more that I found that while it had an established rule and order, the chief aim of that order was to give room for good things to run wild. Mm. Um, and this, this made me think of um, John 10.10, 10, mm. I am come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. I want to kind of address something that he brings up a few times in this chapter, which is he says that there's this, he had this uh, perception that Christianity was humdrum and like kind of like dead and boring. 
And I wanted to get your thoughts on that. And like in the light of, of that quote that I just read, um, for those good things to run wild, like what is he trying to say here? Yeah. I mean, he gives so many examples of Christianity holding together, as he says, furious opposites, um, things that are actually like full of life and full of fire and like the opposite of being boring. Um, and I think when we try to mix the two together or say like a little bit of this or a little bit of that, then it does become safe and boring and kind of humdrum. And like, as Bishop Barron always says, beige, <laughs> you know, I love that. Um, <laughs> it's like, it's just very, you know, it's chill, but, but Chesterton is like, no, no, no. Like it's, there's no such thing Don't as pink. Warm. Yeah. It's only red or white, like, or not, or, but, and it's red and white. It's not pink though. You can't, and it's like, black and white and not It's gray. black and white and not gray. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so he says like, uh, like Saint in this way, St. Francis in praising all good could be more shouting optimist than Walt Whitman. St. Jerome in denouncing all evil could paint yes. the world blacker than Schopenhauer. Both passions were free because both were kept in their place. Um, so when we're actually living out the reality of Christianity, it's like wild and it's exciting and it, it seems contradictory maybe to the outside world, um, and different people within the church are going to fit into different, uh, I guess, extremes, you know, like there's going to yeah, be people yeah. like Joan of Arc and then there's going to be people like St. Therese, you know, <laughs> there's yes. going to be, um, these people who are living out these like radically different expressions of the yes. same truth that has all these different sides to it. You know, he says, we want not an amalgam or compromise, but both things at the top of their energy, love and wrath, both burning. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. And this is a continuation of what we kind of, we, I mean, we discussed this a little bit last chapter and maybe even the chapter before about how like, yes, he's not calling us to be God is not calling us to be lukewarm and kind of believe some of what he's given us or who he is. He is calling us to radically believe everything. Mm -hmm. um, and to, um, as he says uh, on, in my copy, it's on page 143, but he says, um, Christianity came in here as before. It came in startlingly with a sword and clove one thing from another. It divided the crime from the criminal the criminal we must forgive unto 70 times seven, the crime we must not forgive at all. Um, and how this is like a uh, something that's radically different from how like pagan thought previously. You're not going to, you're like, you're not hating the person, you're hating their, their sin um, mm -hmm. and keeping those two things very separate. Yeah. And I think that's really the thing is like, it's all of these extremes, but in their right places, it's not just like extremes running wild and contradicting each other in actuality that in fact, that's why it's not a contradiction. It's a paradox is like both of them can run together in their particular place. Yes. And, um, I like, there was a, a quote he said, let's see. Um, anyone might say neither swagger nor grovel, and it would have been a limit but to say here you can swagger and there you can grovel, that was an emancipation. Um, yes. And like being able to put these things in their right places in life or the moment. Yes. So it's like talking about the, um, you know, at the same time, the, the Christian being able to be truly proud that God chose humanity among all the creatures to 
you know, exult and to um, lift up and to give these great gifts to, and to be like proud of like being a human being, you know, but then at the same time, recognizing our fallenness and our sinfulness and that, you know, each one of us like has this great folly within us that has to be saved by God is like the great humility at the same time. So it's like pride and humility, but in the right place. Um, if I was proud of my sin, then that would be a problem. And if I was like humble, so humble that I thought that, you know, I, was not noticed by God or I wasn't chosen by God or something like that, then that wouldn't be humility in the right place. But it's like when you put them in their right places, it makes everything make sense. And you can experience, like he said, the, the kind of like fire and brimstone and the like love and confidence. It's like the, the whole Christ came to, uh, comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable you know, depending on your perspective, like where you are and what you need at the moment, like it's one or the other, but it's the same thing, you know? Yes, exactly. He's helping you either way. Exactly. Um, Yeah. Just a a continuation of kind of what you were saying is, um, is when he talks about the lion and the lamb, he says, it is constantly assured, especially in our Tolstoyan tendencies that when the lion lies down with the lamb, the lion becomes lamb-like, but that is brutal annexation and imperialism on the part of the lamb. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I know. He makes me laugh. I know. That is simply the lamb absorbing the lion <laughs> instead of the lion eating the lamb. The real problem is, can the lion lie down with the lamb and still retain his royal ferocity? Um, and, it's, and then he says, that is the problem the church attempted. That is the miracle she achieved. Mm. It's not that the lion lies down with the lamb because it's become the, become the lamb. Mm. It's that this wild thing, which still is wild, yeah, has been tamed, like been tamed by faith. Yeah, you know and I mean? not only that, but the lion. I mean, if you go with me with the analogy, the lion and the lamb find themselves together in one person in Christ, you know, so you have Christ, you have Christ, the the lion of Judah, you know, you have like the lion, like Aslan, you know, (laughs) um, and then you have the lamb to be sacrificed. Who's totally submissive and totally humble, like to the will of his father. And he's both at the same time. Um, and that's, that really, that's what it is. It's the mystery of the incarnation. That's like the true God, true man, not like half man, half God, like, like you quoted in the beginning, like an elf or a, um centaur centaur. yeah but Mm -hmm. like there's there's both of these things totally together not losing any ounce of what they are to be united with the other yes and the and to quote chesterton from the end of this chapter that is the thrilling romance of orthodoxy Mm. it's a a thrilling adventure not not a humdrum experience Mm. um Last thing that I'd like to read before we uh, wrap up here is just from the very end of the chapter, the last few lines. It is always simple to fall. There are an infinite. There an in. Ah, there are an infinity of that was a tongue twister of angles <laughs> at which one falls, only one at which one stands. To have fallen into any one of the fads, from Gnosticism to Christian Science, would have indeed been obvious and tame. But to have avoided them all has been one whirling adventure. And in my vision, the heavenly chariot flies thundering through the ages, the dull heresies sprawling and prostrate, the wild truth reeling but erect. Mm. 
Chesterton. So good. Like, <laughs> preach. Yes. Yes. Uh, I love it so much. I could just imagine him and his like towering figure, like, I don't know, shouting this out like in a pub and his like high pitched voice. I don't know. <laughs> just like, I know. I know. I love that image so much of the thundering chariot. Mm hmm. The heavenly chariot flying, thundering through the ages. Mm. It's like there is recklessly nothing, nothing <laughs> yeah. boring about a thundering chariot. Yeah, it's like such something a great image. Quite terrifying, actually. Yes, <laughs> In a lot of ways. Yes. Uh, uh, okay. Well, I think that is all we have time for today. Yeah. But thank you guys so much for joining us again as we continue our conversation of orthodoxy thanks for um, your patience good things come hopefully to those who wait <laughs> yes yes exactly <laughs> and if not good uh things are worth doing badly yeah right um, that's the motto unofficial motto yeah. of our show now <laughs> yeah exactly um so we'll continue again next time with chapter seven so um please read along with us uh i felt a little pressure for today's episode because one of my good friends and i talked uh earlier in the week and he said this is his favorite chapter oh. and so i felt like oh gosh Yikes. we better do this justice <laughs> but you know uh, earthly attempts here earthly yeah. attempts um so grace what are you grateful for today oh good i'm glad you remembered that um i am grateful for so many things um, I'm excited. I'm actually, I'm grateful for a fun, hopefully weekend. Um, there's lots of things going on tonight. I'm going to go to an opera. Um, oh my goodness. and I'm excited about that. I haven't been to new Orleans in a while. Um, cause I've just been working a lot. And so I'm going to go to new Orleans so tonight and go to an opera with a friend. And then, um, yeah, tomorrow we have a big, uh, football tailgate at the church. Um, and on Sunday, I'm going hiking. There's like a, the one hill in all of Louisiana is about um, 45 minutes north of here. And so uh, my best friend, Father Brad, is now that's in his parish. Um, and so I'm going to go up there with some people. And we're actually going hiking with another priest who is a Maronite priest. And so, oh, so cool. we're going to do a divine liturgy in the afternoon on Sunday after our hike. So I'm excited. Awesome. That yeah. is so awesome. Um, gosh, what am I grateful for? Uh, I guess, um, a cozy home and lots of hot drinks in <laughs> weather that is unfamiliar and increasingly terrifying. Um, <laughs> yeah, I would be terrified too. <laughs> it's like, snow. I'm from San Diego and it snowed for the first time today, oh. um, for the season or whatever. It's not cold enough for it to have actually stuck on the ground, but it was snowing for like four or five hours this morning and oh my gosh. very cold. Um, a package came to our house and just bringing it inside was an adventure. <laughs> um, and like the stuff in the package was really cold, like oh felt gosh. like icy. Anyway, um, I'm really grateful. We've got this like beautiful cozy house and we've just had like coffee and hot chocolate and tea flowing in our oh, house to stay yay. cozy in this weather. So um, very grateful for that. Very grateful to stay home with my little babe and Aww. to do this podcast yeah he's been <sighs> so good this whole time we've been recording i know he's been he's snoozing cooed and cried at all the right times and yeah <laughs> it's been great 
He's my son. He has good reactions to Chesterton. <laughs> of course. Um, all right. Well, so you can find us at um, our website is pintswithchesterton.com. Um, you can email us at pintswithchesterton at gmail.com or find us on Instagram at pintswithchesterton. Um, and yeah, we, we really love um, hearing from you guys. I got a lovely email earlier this week or last week. Um, from Amy, who has been listening and like appreciated what we've been doing, which is so nice to hear because sometimes I feel like I'm fumbling through. So thank you for <laughs> confirming what we're doing here. Um, and yes, that is very encouraging to, to hear um, from you guys. And as I've said previously, we also don't mind if you disagree with us. Um, so write us about that too. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, we will see you guys hopefully next week. <laughs> we'll yes. see. Who knows? Yeah, we hopefully never know. next week. <laughs> Sometime soon. Anyway, in the meantime, may you all enjoy lives of wit and whimsy. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.